The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you. Jesus said to his disciples, I have come to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were blazing already. There is a baptism I must still receive, and how great is my distress till it is over. Do not suppose that I am here to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two and two against three, the father divided against the son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The Gospel of the Lord. Fire and a sword. And look at the division in the family. Is that what's happening? Jesus is breaking up our world. Let's just let that simmer for a moment because we'll return to it with a bit more context. But Jesus is not the God of war. We rightly know him as the Prince of Peace. So he must be up to something else. I think all of us, if we had to give the Christian story to someone who asked us, we'd be able to articulate something of it. We know our God. He identifies himself as love itself. And this God creates a beautiful world and, and free agents. We're not machines. And he desires that we'd enter into a relationship with him and share in his divine life. Of course, the plot thickens, but he enters into the thick of it. He comes into the world just as frail as all of us are, so as to endure the, the brokenness of it and break down himself. He comes and redeems our flesh, as we said, kind of purifies our blood of its trauma and draws us back into relationship with him, always the deeper. This is the Christian story in a nutshell. It's one thing to articulate it, it's one thing to explain it, but I think it's another thing to sort of bear witness to it in one's life. When, when someone can see the Christian story unraveling in, in a particular person's life, we see it in the lives of the saints, but really we see it in, in every single life because every story is caught up in this story. It's sort of like the hero journey, you know? Um, someone is called and they go through trials and they almost all but die, and sometimes they do die. <laughs> in Jesus' case, he died. Uh, but then they reemerge, you know, new, transfigured. Uh, they, they've conquered whatever it is that was threatening goodness and truth and beauty. That story is sort of written in our DNA and in our imagination, we hunger for it because it is our story. It is our story. If that's the case, then it's important for each of us to really identify Christ's life being lived in me. Think of those powerful words of St. Paul. The revelation of God is revealed, the Greek says, en imoi, which is in my flesh. In my flesh, the mystery of Christ is being revealed. When we come here, we come as body of Christ, we come living the mystery of Christ, and in a particular way, especially as we gather around the altar, we're witnessing what we call the paschal mystery, the strange mystery of the dying and rising of Christ, a dying and rising that must occur in me. I must experience it. I must experience it in my own dying and rising, little deaths, little resurrections. Uh, it doesn't mean that we all have to be martyrs, but it does mean that somehow I pick up my cross and I offer myself on it. I want to say that by entering into human history, 
Jesus shows himself to be very, very, very much like us. Just think about it. Uh, Jesus was carried in a womb and then born into this world. Is there anyone here who was not in a womb before arriving on this planet? That's one, that's one similarity. He was raised in a family under the authority of his parents, and, and he was schooled in his own religious tradition. Well, so were we. I grew up under the authority of my mum and dad, and I went through Catholic education, the, the religious institute of our choice. Jesus also, through life's journey, he gathered to himself friends, companions, very close friends, in fact. And each of us, too, on our journey, have picked up close companions on the way, haven't we? Some very, very trusted, some with whom friendship has really matured. Lastly, we might say that Jesus had a deep, deep sense of his mission, which eventually led him, as we hear in the Gospels, to set his face like flint to the cruelest forces in this world, even the forces of sin and death itself. He went and he engaged in a kind of ultimate battle, which was very costly to him. It cost him everything, in fact. Well, just like Jesus, we too are called to some kind of a mission. And we too, at times, will have to face the the ugly face of the cruelty in this world, wherever exactly it raises its ugly head. When we see it, yeah, we're going to have to do battle, whatever that looks like for us. I guess it's worth saying what everyone probably wants me to say, and that's that there's something that's unlike us in Jesus, and it's that Jesus is perfect. <laughs> None of us is perfect. We, we sing in that Gloria, you alone are holy, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High. None of us can say that about ourselves. But it's not something to get hung up on, because Jesus is perfect, sure. Jesus is also perfectly with us. We have access to this person. We have access to everything that he is, his mind, his heart. So perfection is, is nearby, you know, at the ready to lend himself to us. And also, it's worth saying, it's worth reaffirming, that each of us is created in the image and likeness of God. That's your image. Who do you look like? You look like God. You don't hear that often, do you? But that's the source of your dignity. That's why you are absolutely invaluable. All the money on the earth couldn't be traded for you. You're precious beyond compare in the image of God. So Jesus is with us, and he's refiguring us to himself. And in, and in that journey of walking with Jesus, we experience this dying and rising, and we need to. Because if we don't, all of this is in vain. Now, if all of that's true, and it is, then Jeremiah's little story that we just heard Annette proclaim is part of the Christian story. It's part of our story. It's evident in our lives. It's, um, it's a sad story, isn't it? Jeremiah had a hard life. He's a prophet called to a nation that does not want to listen to him. They've got a whole plethora of false prophets who they prefer to listen to because they tell them what they want to hear. Jeremiah tells them the truth, that they're not in lockstep with their God, and so they hate him, and they want to kill him. They have him arrested, and they throw him in this well. So he's to drown there, not in water. It says mud. Imagine that, this cold, dark sludge down in a pit. And I can't help but see something of Pontius Pilate and the king. You know, this angry, belligerent mob brings their cause to the king, and he says, oh, he's in your power, as you know. You know, I have nothing to say on the matter. Isn't he the king? Where's his leadership? It's like Pontius Pilate. We want to kill this man. Why? What's he done? Evidently nothing. 
washes his hands off it. He says, I have nothing to do with this because he's scared of the crowd. Jeremiah is a kind of like, like a pre-Jesus passion narrative. And then something interesting happens. Jeremiah, as from nowhere, gets this intercessor, Ebed-Melech, whoever exactly that is, who goes on to the king and says, what's happening is evil. And the king says, okay, <laughs> wakes up to his senses and sends three people to go and pull Jeremiah out of, the, out, of the, out of the pit. So it's not all over for Jeremiah, but it's a small dying and rising episode, just like all of us have punctuating our lives. The Paschal mystery must be found and held tightly in our lives. It's something of great, great importance. And if it's true that we experience this, and if it's true that we have to experience it, then all of us at different times are going to come face to face with our frailty. We're going to have our frailty and our vulnerability tested. And at times it's going to come to breaking point. We're going to experience confusion, loneliness, being mocked, rejected, being misunderstood. Maybe at times we'll have to bear the punishment for things we never did. We're innocent and yet this thing is lumped on us. Is that fair? No, it isn't. It isn't fair. It's hard. And I think when God sees that happening, he weeps. Because our God is a compassionate God. But in a strange way, these little dying and risings that we experience, they redeem the world. They redeem the world. They change the world around us. And they change us. They powerfully configure us to the image of Christ who redeems everything. What does Jesus say when these kinds of things are going to approach us? He says, blessed are you. This is how they treated the prophets. This is how they treated me. Because there's a dark force in the world that doesn't like truth, doesn't like love, doesn't like peace. It prefers fire and sword. It prefers agony and woundedness. Strange, isn't it? And it echoes and it sort of makes its presence felt. And we're all susceptible to it. So finally, what's Jesus saying when he comes to us with speak of fire and blade? Well, I think, as usual, he's surprising us because he doesn't fit in our boxes. But he comes to us not as, you know, warring militants, but as divine physician. Um, grandparents and parents, imagine your little children and you have to take them to the doctor for their flu shot. And, you know, let's say they're one or two, so they have no idea what this is. As, as far as they can tell, they're about to be stabbed. <laughs> and everyone they love is happy about it. You know, what a traumatic and, and bewildering experience for the child. But the doctor in his or her wisdom and us, loving family, we know, no, this is unpleasant, but it's ultimately... For the child's good, it will protect them. It'll make them strong. It'll keep them safe. Um, it, it, it sort of has to happen. And we'll be there with them. We'll strengthen them. We'll, we'll console them. Paschal mystery for a little toddler. It's in all of our lives. Lastly, I want to make this, I think we need to know this because it, it gives great peace. You know, it's hard to follow a hypocrite. But Jesus calls us to these things. And you think, okay, Jesus, when are you going to experience breakage? <laughs> I mean, of course, we know he did. 
But in a moment, we're going to see something really wonderful on the altar where our sacrifice reaches its fulfillment. Jesus comes as bread. Bread that we call communion, right? Think of that reading we just heard from Hebrews. There's a great communion of saints, a great cloud of witnesses walking with us, praying for us, fortifying us on the journey so that we can throw off everything that hinders us in this long journey we're making. We can pick up our cross because it's not an instrument of torture, but it's like a plow that tills the earth into new life, tills my heart and soul as well. In that communion, we will in fact see fire called down. The Holy Spirit brings about what we say a divine exchange. Everything that we have, our little nothing list, we put it on the altar and we get God in return. His very self becomes like infused into us. And the bread is broken. The bread is broken because to be close to us in this broken world with our broken hearts, Jesus knows he has to break himself to get in there, to clasp us. It's amazing, isn't it? Let's be moved now in this moment. Let's be moved deep into the Paschal mystery. Let's be moved even by that which is hot and unpleasant, even by that which is sharp and jagged-edged. Let's come now. Let's be brought into the dying and the rising of Christ, who desires to die and rise in us and raise us up with himself.